Better Red Than Dead on Belly Feels, Ingsoc. Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we are going to be talking about 1984, which is George Orwell's 1949 novel about a post-war dystopian England run by a totalitarian government. So, Katie, why did you want to read 1984? Well, I wanted to read 1984 because... I remembered the thing. I remember two things about it from the first time that I read it. The first thing was about the rats. So there's like a very significant plot point. Um, (laughs) Megan clearly doesn't like the rats either. No. (laughs) Uh, So there's this very significant plot point where this like totalitarian state tortures, says they're going to torture this guy by uh, putting a wire cage with rats inside of it over his head and let it eat his face. face. (laughs) Rad. And it's, so it's like exactly like it's exactly like Nicolas Cage and Wicker Man with not the bees. <laughs> They're gonna not the bees him. Yeah. And I remembered that, and I was like, sort of hoping this would be a rat novel. So there are two good things about this book, and the one is the rats, and the second one is the sex. <sighs> the sex scenes in this novel are transcendently erotic. They involve <laughs> they, they involve the taking off of many overalls. Uh, they involve a long discussion of um, varicose vein related embarrassment. No varicose <laughs> related embarrassment. Yes. Uh, we have a weeping wound introduced into the mix, which I always like uh, when I'm getting sexy. Um, it's also so the. I didn't realize how bad it was the first time. I kind of just thought like something was a little funky about the lady characters, but holy motherfucking shit balls. Yeah. <laughs> the women in this novel are just absolutely like maybe some of the worst written women characters I've ever. Oh, the worst. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And and I, I would love to talk more about this, but I like remembered it sort of being bad. Like the main woman character being like kind of, a ding dong like she falls asleep anytime anything vaguely intellectual is discussed right. yeah so i like, sort of remembered that little personality quirk but i didn't quite remember how bad it was like he's got this like wife that left him too and i didn't remember how bad that whole thing was so it's just a huge mess and i i was excited to get back into that and talk about it so, so i want to read it yeah i mean yeah <laughs> those are all uh, yeah i uh, i can't believe we're gonna talk about rats because i'm petrified of them um okay so i wanted to read it because of twitter which is like (laughs) i keep (laughs) (laughs) the twitter.com website uh i keep seeing orwell memes uh that are like uh you know uh, this is what orwell was talking about this is orwellian only they're like right-wing pee pants babies who are mad that trans kids want to be called by their correct pronouns. And that's what they think Big Brother is, yeah. um, which is awesome, which is like that's an awesome way to interpret this book. Um, I mean, and it's interesting to see the terms from this book make their way into vernacular. So Big Brother and the double plus good and thought crime stuff is – it's much more – it's a crazy – it's crazy the degree to which 
language from this book has made it into popular culture, like compared to all other books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's nuts. Um, and then, of course, like I send, you know, there's like the reasons for this are really complicated. They're not just about boneheads, but like the book tends to be taken as a blanket critique of communism, which is like a very dumb interpretation. So I want to look at this book because it's a critique of totalitarianism. It's a critique of the failures of Stalinism, um, which Orwell kind of thinks it's just like a particular version of capitalism anyway. Um, but it's also really interesting in its critiques of like mechanized 20th century capital and imperialism and war. And those are not the Orwell memes on tw- the twitter.com that are like, um, oh, it's Orwellian to like criticize our imperial practices. Um, also, I it's, it's not every day that you see like a cameo by Trotsky in <laughs> a novel and Trotsky is the person for whom our theme song is named. So I always got to like, you know, get my approvals in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so no, I, my my reasons are, uh, are 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 fairly similar to to Megan's. Uh, I'm going to get ranty this episode. Just just a <laughs> fair warning. I I know you guys are ready for that, but my apologies to our our listeners. Um, yeah, no, t- totally. Yeah, my uh, mom's like every... really mad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, <doesn't have> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, my my too. Uh, no, I, I mean, yeah, like every Ayn Rand spouting libertarian shithead, every left bashing liberal says, you know, exactly what you were saying, Megan. They're like, this is about the warning to communism, but communism is like, fuck off. Um, and, and, and no, I mean, I'm just going to I'm just going to share this this delightful quote I found reading uh, the, the New York Times, June 12th, 1949 review of 1984. Um, and the, this this is by some uh, chud named Mark Shore. Um, and and here, here's what he had to say. It's a very favorable review, but he's like, oh, this is definitely about communism. Um, it is also, and this is a hurdle over which many loyal liberals will stumble, it is also an expression of Mr. Orwell's irritation at many facets of British socialism, and most particularly, trivial as this may seem, at the drab gray pall that life in Britain today has drawn across the civilized amenities of life before the war. Just fuck off. It's like, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry the public housing that they're building doesn't fit your architectural needs. And yeah, that's just like Stalinism. Right. Absolute moron. Um, more amenities but like <laughs> yeah exactly more about also yeah because life before in pre-war uh england was so rosy super awesome for, super awesome yeah Vic- victorian britain great you know ch- child's uh, chimney sweeps all, all you know the civilized <laughs> amenities of life i think but we like, all think of victorian and edwardian england as being like para- a paradise oh no absolutely totally it's, it's a it dickensian just, utopia yeah it's just <laughs> yes exactly uh, yeah a, D- a dickensian utopia indeed um, yeah, but I mean, like, yeah, obviously this book is about Stalinism um, because it's about authoritarianism. Um, but, you know, it's also about capital, uh, you know, which, which I think a lot of a lot of Marxist readers of this have recognized for a very long time. Um, and, you know, I, in some ways, I think that, like, the oppressiveness of it hits even harder today now that the sort of technology has caught up with it than it, it might have in, 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 in at the moment. Um, you know, and something I was thinking about when I you know, write my thoughts on this, you know, you, you listening to this on your laptop top or your your iphone you, you've got that camera staring back at you okay so tape on it <laughs> yeah well you know who you Still know who fucking does you you know who fucking does put tape over it is mark zuckerberg because that asshole knows yeah like, he, <laughs> he knows. invented and, it 
He invented it. Yeah. And like, may, so maybe NSA isn't listening to you because you haven't been, you know, racially profiled onto a terrorism watch list. But Facebook sure as shit is. Apple sure as shit is. Google is. They're taking your data. They're selling your data. They're using that data to sell you all kinds of absolute shit. Um, and, and yeah, so th- welcome to the future. Yeah, that's the <laughs> that's what the telescreen is. Stay mad. Do you have your as your Apple Watch tracking your blood pressure right now? Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I left it at home. Oh, does it know how many steps you've taken? Uh, Okay, so today we are talking about the language of newspeak and the concept of the state and communism and totalitarianism and class war and war that is not class-based at all and overalls and rats and gender – yeah. So, okay. I'm going to do this context thing. Um, it's not too long, but it is a little crazy. So I apologize, but it's, it's a lot. So like, I'm trying to be non-insane with respect to like a narrative of 1930s democratic socialism in England. Um, but George Orwell, uh, who is literally Antifa, he fought in Spain against the Franco government. So, like <laughs> fuck you, anti-fascist, anti-anti-fascists. Um, he was a democratic socialist and a dissident leftist who was part of English democratic socialism in the thirties. Um, but Orwell wasn't great at being a party guy. Uh, he was just kind of like um, he was a difficult person. Like he just wasn't a very agreeable guy, which is kind of great. Um, he's he was to me at least not to has not. He wouldn't hesitate to criticize party models, epistemologies that he thought were bullshit, um, which is why 1984 is mad at Soviet-style Leninist-Stalinism. But in my readings, is primarily angry at capitalism, totalitarianism, ruthless class inequality, and imperialism. Um, and for me as a reader, I see that critique of imperialism, particularly in Goldstein's book. Um Okay, so so he's he's a leftist, but he's kind of mad at leftists and intellectuals and everyone. So maybe this is why this book is received in a way that is very stupid, even when it's published in 1949, because idiot first world imperialist defenders like the United States receive this book and, and him as just anti-Russian – which for them is like they just they just align Stalin and Hitler uncritically. Like that's just the way mm-hmm. they do it at that time. Um, and I use the expression, by the way, first world because it's Cold War um, historically specific. And I think that that's kind of important. Like I know that we say developed nations right now, but that's – um, also historical and 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 his, if the first world was like the U.S. aligned, the, the the second world was the Soviet aligned, and the third world was the non aligned. Is that is that correct? That's right. Um, and the and the third world had become has then became in later moments to mean what we would co- now call the developing world, because that's also like it's not aligned, but it's also like colonial. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but so much so. That's like the the dummies who like was the guy who wrote for the New York Times who were like, um, how courageous he is in being anti-Stalinist. Right. Uh, which like. Uh, controver- controversial. Controversial right. opinion, <laughs> you know, in 1950 in the United States. Uh, 
But like a lot of people who are much smarter critics of totalitarianism, and I'm thinking of Hannah Arendt's work in particular, um, also put Stalin together and later Mao, which isn't totally wrong given the significance of the Hitler-Stalin pact, which is most – it's the Molotov-Ribbentrop pact is the other thing they call it. It's 1939. So Arendt, uh, her – one of, one of her distinctions, which I think is really weird and interesting, is that she describes totalitarianism as being supported by masses and not classes, which I have not completely sorted out in my head yet. And I've read that book many times, and it's still like I to- I don't totally get it. But it's an I can interesting- sort it out for you. What? I can sort it out for you. Really? <laughs> right now. Yes. Okay. I can. Okay. So here's how you think about it. Got it. So, Real Housewife of New York, Sonia Morgan, <laughs> okay. said, Countess Luanne de Lesseps, your clothes are for the masses. My clothes are for the classes. Oh. Okay. So, <laughs> there you go. That is super helpful. <laughs> yeah. And then she lost a tooth uh, trying to take off the buttons of a young man's uh, shirt. Oh. <laughs> so... Do you think she got that directly from Arendt's letters to Mary McCarthy? I do. And I'll tell you why. Okay. (laughs) Because one night she dropped her Blackberry in the toilet of her, of her condominium. (laughs) And as she was, she called a very sexy plumber to pull it out. And as she was doing so, she uncovered unpublished versions of those very letters of which she <laughs> and it actually it, it illuminated the difference between the the classes and the masses this is just so clarifying i feel like yeah. the entirety of the new york intellectuals has just been like blown wide open by this thank you i do consider myself an intellectual oh, amazing i mean next next we'll be talking about potterets and why i think he's the worst person who ever lived but Anyway. Wait, which one? Wait, you have to specify which one because they're both terrible. Oh, I was thinking of Norman Potterts, who wrote that book, who wrote this very mean book about all of his former friends and the New York intellectuals. Yeah, totally. His his son is also trash. Just to to put that on the record for the pod, he just said a lot of mean things about Mary <laughs> McCarthy, which is very unforgivable for me. You know, worst person ever. So okay, so here's what Arendt says <laughs> after pulling her Blackberry out of the toilet. Um, <laughs> all true. She says. Totalitarian movements are possible wherever there are masses who, for one reason or another, have acquired the appetite for political organization. Masses are not held together by a consciousness of a common interest, and they lack that specific class articulateness, which is expressed in determined, limited, and unobtainable goals. And that's from Totalitarianism, Volume 3, and it's page 9. Um, and I think that's something to think about with 1984. I don't want to be too like – I don't want to align that immediately with like, oh, in our present moment, we have this thing where we have masses, but like no class you know, um, solidarity, which is not really true. But I do think that I feel the echoes of something significant there. So do you guys have shit to add? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, one thing that just uh, the, the the historical context of this, this is something that um, Thomas Pynchon in that introduction that um, that you and I were talking about, Megan, earlier uh, points out, which is that like, yeah, you know, like McCarthyism is just about to get in full. So, you know, there, there's a lot of like his and, you know, a lot of, um, you know, hysteria, but also like kind of 
oppressive capitalist state crackdown on dissident thought. Oh I mean, yeah. Like, like, yeah, I mean, it's not the, like the gulag archipelago, but it's, it's, it's pretty ominous and, 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 and frightening. Um, but, uh, like one thing that I was thinking about when you were the, the masses classes distinction that, uh, that Aranda's is talking about, I was reminded of that, uh, the, the, the Walter Benjamin point that he makes, uh, the, you know, the, the Marxist theorists of the twenties uh, and thirties, Walter Benjamin, um, about fascist aestheticizing politics and, and communism, you know, politicizing, politicizing aesthetics. Yeah. yeah. But, but I, but I kind of do think that, 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 that the aestheticization of politics is something so that, that base it's like the, it's the image of. Um, it's like the image of like class struggle, but without any of the content. Yeah. If that makes sense, it's like it, it, it retains something of like this the sim or it, it gestures towards the symbolism, but doesn't have any of the actual like um, ideological or intellectual support of it. I mean, and I think it's like something that appeals to common interest without, or isn't like appears to be about a common interest that's not actually about like class at all solidarity. Right. right. Yeah. Like there are others like you who are suffering, but that's not about like a common enemy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that a little bit goes to the distinction. So um, a little bit earlier, like um, in the late 19th, really early 20th century, there was all this fear about crowds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this novel is really interested in that too. There's like that Le Bon book about the this French guy. I know hardly anything about him except his name is Le Bon. And he wrote this book about the crowd and that this was like – Significant. This new thing was like significant, and it was different than the masses because it did require you to be in the same physical space. Right. And so, like in this, this novel is doing something really interesting. Where like, and he was like very scared of the crowd, and it had to sort of do with like the like early advertising and like so. So there's something about like you can whip people up into a frenzy when they're together, and there's something like vaguely unsettling about this and really scary. But in this novel, there's something going on which is like exactly about what you two are saying, which is about like the masses and how you identify yourself to other people and like what things connect you. And it's different than something like the crowd, which is like being in the same physical space as somebody else. Mm -hmm. So the crowd is, is a place it's, it's dangerous in this novel, but it's also a place where you can um, sort of like have covert intimacy with somebody. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Which is, which is a f interesting formulation. I think if we're trying to think about the ways that people connect in this world and politically at the time, like what was being said about, um, you know, the ways we should identify with each other and and organize and like be together. It seems like something to to dig into a little. Yeah, definitely. It takes alienation quite differently, I think, than most of the sort of popular psychology and sociology at the time does, which is like that the crowd or the metropolis. And you're right, Kate, a little earlier is fundamentally alienating because you're made anonymous. And I just don't think that this book is quite as like. <clears throat> invested in that it doesn't necessarily think anonymity is always bad because it's not a hyper individualistic novel i think it thinks it's good anonymity mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i think i think yeah. to a certain degree it does too i mean i think that there are downside it's like anonymity is good but generalization is bad you know what i'm saying or something like sameness yeah. right yeah, and and, and anonymity that that like preserves your sort of like individual subjecthood, right? Like, cause yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but More I think like it's I very like he's very humanist. Orwell is, if that makes mm -hmm. sense, right? So like yeah. he is actually deeply invested in our sort of like human nature as as something that we have to preserve and that totalitarianism wants to squish. Yeah. Yes. 
So yeah, there's like another distinction there too, which is like the thing with privacy. Oh yeah. Where if you talk about, so like anonymity isn't, I guess maybe it's not the best thing, but it's the second best thing if you can't have privacy. That's a really good point. Yeah. Because the book really is into like hanging out by yourself is like a good thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Right. Well, cause yeah. Cause the, the, the impossibility of ever truly being by yourself is like the kind of the scariest feature of this, mm-hmm. this, you know, post-apocalyptic, I guess. Yeah, it is post-apocalyptic because it's post like a nuclear war of some mm-hmm. kind um, place that you, you can never really be alone because some someone or if someone isn't watching you, there's always the possibility that someone is. Um, right. Which is the real fear. Right. Um, okay. So let's get to the summary so we can sort of just have a sense, a common sense of what, what this is. And then we'll talk about some other stuff. So um, – Winston Smith is an outer party member in a totalitarian regime in 1984. He lives in Oceania, which is one of three megastates. Would you say megastates, you guys? Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Because they – yeah, because it's three states that make up the entirety of the globe. So, right. Yeah, I don't – yeah. Okay. Um, the other two being East Asia and Eurasia. And Oceania is constantly in war with one and allied to the other. Um, he works in the records department, which is called RECTUP, correcting historical records based on the orders of the centralized government's inner party. He feels off with respect to his party loyalty and takes up writing in a diary to offset some of this anxiety. In the middle of this, he meets a woman called Julia, who works in FICDEP, the fiction department, who passes him a note reading, I love you. They begin an affair, meeting in secret locations, the final one being the attic of an old antique shop. During this period of relative happiness, Winston and Julia are approached by an inner party member, O'Brien, who says that he is part of the Brotherhood, an underground rebellion supporting Goldstein, Trotsky, the main party enemy, um, who's who's the subject of the two-minute hate, which is a daily activity that the workers do where they scream at his image. Um But Winston and Julia are quickly caught. The antique shop hiding place has been wired and subjected to torture that intends to rewire their thinking and emotions to love Big Brother and accept the party. O'Brien, either sincerely being or pretending to be an enforcer of the party, tortures Winston with electric shock, beatings, and rats. Winston, believed cured, is released and reenters society with a newfound love of Big Brother. This is then followed by a weird-ass afterward by an apparent historian of the totalitarian moment. Um, okay, anything else we should know that's essential to the summary of the book? No, just that, that was a lot more succinct than my Pride and Prejudice summary. Well, because there's only three characters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that, that helps, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't think we get into a contest of who can summarize Jane Austen versus Orwell. No, Jane Austen is the hard. Like that's not. That's just not a fair comparison. Um, Overalls, rats, totalitarianism. A woman who has no brain. That's all that's in this book. Jane Austen has two of those. She has. She has two of those. That's true. Uh, So. Okay, so yeah, we're talking about all kinds of things. So what like – okay, that. so like we know reading this that the power structure is really interested in sort of a command of people's interpersonal relationships. So mm-hmm. um, why 
why do how do those attachments work? I mean, is one way to say that besides that it has super gross sex in it. Right. We have to talk about that though. We do. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about that if you want right now. I mean, we any of those things. Yeah. yeah. Also horrible uh, children. Yeah, no hard. Well, we have yeah. to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, and Kate, I, I know, uh, like before we started, you you were. I, I think the really uh, good point that that you you have to you have to carve the way this novel, de- the really fucked up ways this novel like deals with it and talks about women uh, from like the family structures. I mean, because there is overlap, but it is. I think those are distinct things. But I, I mean, I, I think the degree to which they are the same, and like how how you know the the really you know uh, gross sex, uh, a very unpleasant sex comes into it is that basically the state wants to get rid of any affective connection between people that does not orient back towards the state, right? right? So that means your children need to be educated to love the state more than they love you. Um, uh, there's this whole like part where the, the state is tried to like abolish the orgasm because again, that that's like, that is something that creates some sort of like bond between people that it just, it can't tolerate. Um, but the children, yeah, I mean, I maybe start with the children. Cause I think, I think that is like uh, one of the scariest things in the book. The children in this novel are all, all monsters. Uh, mm-hmm. It makes that point explicitly. And like, they've been, they've been educated to be so, but like for the time they're like small children, at first they go enter this organization called, the spies, which like kind of have like a Hitler youthy type yeah, vibe sure. to them. Um, Don't and they then also wear some, shorts? I feel like there's some yes, there's some weirdly yeah, Hitler yeah. youthy specificity. No, I mean it's again it's it's 49, so I'm sure that is the aesthetic that he was absolutely yeah, thinking of. Sure. Um, and yeah, like that that basically they you know the, the children. Anytime you see a child in this, they're like you know they're just gleefully looking for any chance to denounce someone to to Big Brother. Um, usually their parents. Um, and, and one passage that I just find like kind of amazing. Um, so, so there's the, uh, so, so Winston has this, uh, this dumbass neighbor named Parsons who is like, he's like the most like kind of orthodox person in the book in a lot of ways, partially because he's an idiot. Like he just completely unthinking acceptance of the party line. And when Winston is, is in jail in the, in the, in the ministry of love, uh, Parson gets thrown into a, a cell with him, uh, for, for thought crime. And, uh, and, and so, and, and, and Winston asked him, are you guilty? And Parsons, of course I'm guilty, cried Parsons with a servile glance at the telescreen. You don't think the party would arrest an innocent man, do you? His frog-like face grew calmer and even took on a slightly sanctimonious expression. Thought crime is a dreadful thing, old man, he said sententiously. It's insidious. It can get hold of you without uh, you even knowing it. Do you know how it got hold of me? In my sleep. Yes, that's a fact. There I was, working away, trying to do my bet. Never knew I had any bad stuff in my mind. And then I started talking to my sleep. Do you know what they heard me saying? And a little down with Big Brother. Um, and so then Winston's like, all right, well, how the hell does Big Brother know this? Who denounced you? It was my little daughter, said Parsons with a sort of doleful pride. She listened at the keyhole, heard what I was saying and nipped off to the patrols the very next day. Pretty smart for a nipper of seven, eh? I don't bear her any grudge for it. In fact, I'm proud of her. It shows her I brought her up in the right spirit. Awesome. Like, yeah, great. You know? cool. <laughs> and true believers. Uh, yeah true and well this these are also like these kids so so orwell doesn't do a great job setting up some things like he does not do a great job setting up the rats but he does a great job setting up this this guy to get betrayed by his shithead oh totally yeah Yeah. because from like the very first pages it's like these two little these two little shorts wearing terrorists (laughs) are like frolicking about their their apartment like 
uh, blow darting Winston when he comes to fix this <laughs> yes. thing. It's like right. up with potatoes. Yeah. yeah. Just ho- horrible. Yeah, they're just little psychopaths. Yeah, and right, and yeah, they, they, yeah, they, they, they shoot, they shoot at Winston with the, yeah, with the, with the slingshot, and the mother says that because the mother is terrified of them, right? Right. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah, because she's one of the two genres of women that exist in this book, which is the like worn out child having raw armed yes. washerwoman yeah. sort. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, bitches be tired. <laughs> <laughs> bitches with kids be tired. That's why you send them off to be uh to to be little spies. Or you send them off to be in the junior anti-sex league. Oh, I love yes. the junior anti-sex yes. league, right? Yes. Yeah. Which is uh, how Julia uh has learned to blend in, right? Cuz she she has been uh party party loyal. Yeah. Yes, they they wear they wear the they wear these red the junior anti sex league uh, wear these red sashes tied around their around their waist like a l- little bit of flair with the overalls right right <laughs> <laughs> it's also like vaguely nineteenth uh, century suffragette in some way right like why are you yeah, wearing yeah, these weird is. sashes yeah, yeah. Um, short but can you please just like just picture an entire society where you are required to wear overalls or you will be arrested <laughs> yeah. and tortured I, if you don't wear overalls. Yeah. As like a fairly femme person who's like who's into like makeup and hair and stuff, I would 100% go for a lifetime in coveralls so I did not have to make any decisions. <laughs> yeah. Except for yeah. color oh. of cover- coveralls. Oh, no, you would not because okay, so well maybe you would cuz oh you're you're one of the you are one of the ones who I would denounce the thought police because I bet you that you look cute and ironic in overalls <laughs> I look like I am about to <laughs> farmer old McDonald's uh, I do uh, own a pair of overalls Well then I have some reporting to do <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they do yeah. look childlike I will say that Yeah okay, I fine. I I can live I think the last time I wore overalls, I was like three or something like that. It was uh, it was, tur- it was turquoise. <laughs> Honestly, tur- I have to say that like I visualized them in the book though yeah. as more like coveralls, and so in no. my head, yeah. it's like the women in those great pictures from the early 1940s with the bandanas in their hair working yeah. away on a fucking you yeah. know plane engine. Yeah, and that actually is much cooler than what I was envisioning. And and, and um, I watched the if you guys haven't seen it or seen it recently the uh, the 1984 movie 1984 with yeah. uh, with John Hurt and and Richard Burton is is actually I think a very good adaptation. Plus Richard Burton has like the coolest voice in the history of cinema. But but they but they did exactly what you're talking about, Megan. That the kind of coveralls is like oh this actually looks cooler. I was thinking of the like uh, and maybe this is like an American versus British English distinction. I was thinking of the like yeah the over like the jean overalls the bib overalls that, like, yeah. yeah the bib overalls yeah. exactly yeah. which it's like i don't like this makes no sense as a uniform whereas like the, the coveralls like oh okay this is i get the kind of futuristic vibe happening here also coveralls I'm, can have a waist right yes true well but the but the, but they don't because these don't because the thing about the junior anti-sex league sash is that it gives you a waist and you don't have one otherwise oh well I still think I could wear a mechanic. I think I could still like look really good in a mechanics coveralls vibe. I I believe in your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, 
well, we'll we'll see. So, um, okay, so that's a version of the relationships that gets that's like uh, that again. I think this is like for for whatever I feel very resistant, especially like at this point in history to any nat like any sense that the family should be natural or naturalized right that like Mm -hmm. children should love their parents or parents should love their children is a little bit like uh i guess nobody here has read anything or met anyone or read freud or has parents or has children um but i do think that that's part of orwell's thing right is that like he does naturalize these relationships that he thinks are supposed to be loving Yes, he does. And, and and that's right. Like I I like a little bit too felt myself uh being pulled against my also like skepticism about like yeah, the nuclear family which right. I mean it has this completely like historically contingent and fucked up and just bullshit narrative around it. Yeah. But but as he was describing like okay, like what it looks like, not so much to get rid of like that very specific family model, but just like to make impossible any kind of like non uh, su- like direct subject state uh, tie that I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I, that I'm, I don't know. Like, it, like I was a little bit kind of cringing at the specifics of the way he was framing that. But I also was like, but I definitely understand um, like why he thinks that like a, a, a totalitarian state like this would be interested in, in doing that kind of thing with, with like family relationships. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think what I hear you saying is something like, that the terms on which he defines subjectivity is are kind of shaky for us as like mm-hmm. Marxists, but that the question of like whether the state under totalitarianism is trying to denude people of subjectivity is a real question. Yeah, that, that yeah, that's that's a that's a better way of putting what what I was getting at. Well, because there's a big so, but I think it's I think the novel conflates like a lot of this stuff, like it talks about reading a book or going for a walk alone in the same register it talks about l- loving your dad you know? yeah, totally yeah. yeah yeah i am very comfortable so I- with like going for a walk by yourself as being like a term of being a subject yes um or like it- i guess it's more about um like i it all boils down to pleasure i guess okay yeah mm-hmm. I think that's what I think that's what um what he's talking about and I think if if we were to ask if we were to interview Orwell he would say that that's what he's ta- that, that is what he's talking about like all kinds of pleasure like sexual um like for a friendship um food any kind of physical mm-hmm. enjoyment food yeah, yeah food. all of it like yeah the f- the food of this novel is I think it's described as it's like so the, the, disgusting the appearance of vomit like yeah the, it's just like this pig stew with like pig cubes <laughs> in it you know it's got like strings yeah yeah and, yeah and all those like I think it's every little tiny pleasure is instrumentalized right so we know that it's yeah. like you drink gin so you have like less feeling and even like I like gin, and I read this book, and I was like, "That's yeah. disgusting," yeah, Vic, and I never Vic, victory gin, which they they at the fancy cafes they season with cloves. I think right, right? And like victory a waiter co- coffee, which doesn't really victory taste like co- coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So victory gin probably isn't actually gin, right? It's like some like just completely like flavorless like ethyl alcohol, right? Yeah. Or cigarettes that don't really take, you know, it's like any tiny little, like any respite, I think is part of what he's yes. talking about too, right? Yeah. It's like from the gr- the to- the outright toil and anything yeah. that we would consider like even a two second break. 
Yeah. Yeah, right. Every time he tries to take out a cigarette out, all the, all the tobacco, tobacco falls, falls out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's described at one point um, early in the book that uh, that work that that basically his job, uh, Winston's job at the Ministry of, of Truth, uh, where he's just writing bullshit, basically re- rewriting history in, in bullshit. Uh, that that that's his only pleasure. That that's his greatest source of pleasure. So, okay, how mad at women is Orwell? Is part of this question? Yes, quite. Um. I mean, Winston's really mad at women, right? Yeah, I, for I mean, sure. I, I, guess, I guess part of the question is to what degree we take Winston as Orwell uh, or not. Yeah, that's right. That's I a mean, good question. I, I think I would be less inclined to take them as having the same point of view if there weren't, if everything didn't seem to be sort of like filtered through his point of view. Yeah. But yes, like Julia is incredibly annoying. No. Yes. Um, But Tristan, what do you think? Tristan disagrees. Yeah, I didn't take her as such. I did. Yeah, I actually didn't take her. I I wasn't that annoyed by her, but I did think that like, I I don't know her. Yeah. Like, I mean, her there, there are definitely like kind of annoyingly misogynistic aspects of the way she's depicted, as you guys pointed out earlier, the fact that when he starts reading the, you know, Goldstein's book, which actually is, I mean, so I just a little bit of like what that book is. Um, So O'Brien, yeah, O'Brien gives him Goldstein's uh, what's it called? The principles of oligarchic collectivism or something like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Right. So, yeah. So O'Brien, and and I I am still a little bit like curious, uh, you know, it's a digression. Why, um, uh, why O'Brien does give him this book is, tr- which is apparently the truth. Like it, it describes the system as is. Um, I'm just a little bit unclear, like why that plot point needs to happen. But anyway, like so, Winston's reading this is like, oh wow, this is the great re- revelation of how our society is put together. And yeah, she just like falls asleep. Like she's right. she's like she, <laughs> she's profoundly unideological. Except to the point that it, uh, like ideology comes to relate to her personal freedom, which basically is her interest in like pleasure, right? I mean, fucking and 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 eating and having good coffee, right? She wants to do what she wants to do. Yes, um, and, and like I mean, so like I I think the book thinks that that is like admirable in a way. I mean, it thinks that it's like a mode of resistance that is very limited, but that is also like, I don't know, like more effective than anything that Winston does in terms of resisting the system. But at the same time, like, yeah, I mean, the fact that she like is completely uninterested in thought, uh, be, you know, any sort of like systemic thought. Um, yeah, I mean that, like, that's really frustrating, but, um, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I guess I felt I was a little bit less annoyed by her than you guys were. Well, she all, but like, so you remember, I think like different things about her than I do, which is funny. Okay. Yeah. Because the shit that I remember about her is that she says directly one time, like, I hate women. Right. She yeah, does say yeah, that. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. That's and but like she, does. That she sure does. <laughs> <laughs> she sure does. But also like so so the thing but I think you're making a good point to say that part of the problem is that what well she also says like I want to be a real woman and that means wearing makeup, makeup and yeah. high yes. heels. Yeah. Yeah, right. And it, no, I mean that that part definitely was like super I thought super crazy. That that like it's it, that that one of the like primary avenues of like sort of state violence that the book wants to identify is like it doesn't let women be women. Which yeah, is like, right. Which is super which is super gross definitely. Um 
yeah, like I, I don't know. I, I, I guess so. Like I, the more I think, the more sympathetic both to Julia and to to Orwell reading would be that like part of what she like like women are really um, I don't know kind of singled out for uh, well just the way that the state like uh, the, the 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 state wants them to think about themselves and want society to think about hmm. them is super fucked up, mm-hmm. which I think like are automatically like characterizes and colors, like the, the field in which Julia as an individual actor is able to operate. But I don't know, like, yeah, it, it's, it, that doesn't really do much with this kind of like gross, very sort of 1940s, 1950s, like kind of traditional gender role stuff happening here. Well, the weird part is, so you, you have, so this is all the women are written like, Everything that Orwell's saying, I just want to be like spoken like someone who has never fucked, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much the whole the whole thing about it. And but there's like so there's Julia and then there's um, and Julia is like the platonic ideal of like a younger woman to fuck. And right. th- but then Winston also has the platonic ideal of like ex-wife. Who is this like yes. dumb, tall, like horse faced woman who he like fantasizes about pushing off of a cliff and who yes. calls sex like our duty to the party? party. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, that, 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 uh, I don't know that it's like that, that women seem to be the, the, um, the most liable to be like kind of wholly co opted by the, like uh, uncritically by this ideology, right? That it's, yeah. No, that's totally, th- th- that's, hundred percent that's a hundred percent right and it's also a hundred percent something my uber driver said to me about like what's wrong with society today <laughs> is that women are too vulnerable yeah. to corruption it's that women are naturally superior to men and now society has gotten to a point where it has polluted women and that's you know it's really gone yeah. too far yeah <laughs> okay which is like dead ass orwell yeah and, and yeah. like and, and and like winston's rage at the state does manifest at multiple points at like really kind of like violent misogynistic fan. Like, I mean, I think he says directly to Julie at one point, like, like, yeah, wh- where's that? Th- that basically it's like, Oh, like, well, I, I would have raped and murdered you if I, or like that, that's right. what I wanted to yeah. do before, before I knew that you were like, cool. You know, it's like, what the, <laughs> what the fuck is that? Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, just, it's so, it's so direct. Like it's so direct. And it's also so direct about like, um, she put makeup on and like, boy, howdy, did she look better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's like that somehow like women and femininity and makeup are like all one thing. It's not this like it's fantasy of like a rustic woman. But mm-hmm. he sort of has that too because there's this woman who like sings loudly outside and of their window. Clothes. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah. she's the like proletariat model, right? She's the um, – She's the, the, you know, the sort of thing that I think of as being on like um, Soviet posters of like, you know, the hardy woman of the state who holds mm-hmm. the family up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah. Doesn't Julia at one point say her her hips are a meter across or something yes! like that? Yeah. She does say something yeah. like that. Right. Yeah. This is not, I mean, like definitely women's bodies are like much more uh, of interest to this book than me. I mean, like what Winston weighs like 110 pounds and he's like got tuberculosis. Well, I mean, I guess we do we do drill on his his varicose ulcer quite a bit. But like, that's true. But no, nah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think in body. Yeah. What What's a varicose ulcer? Did anybody look it up? I, I meant to and I didn't. Yeah, I did. How gross is it? 
It's, I mean, it's mid-level gross. It's basically, I mean, it's like, it, it is kind of related to varicose veins in that it's um, basically, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's an area of the, the leg where blood uh, isn't flowing properly because of a, a vein issue. And so it gets like a rash, which can become like an open wound if it's not treated. It's like, yeah. Um, so that's it. It's, it's just a big red spot on his leg that may or may not be oozing various fluids. Ugh. Yeah. Unpleasant. Uh, I see. I yeah. get why Julia wants to fuck him. I yeah, totally. <laughs> that is a bit of a mystery. Isn't yeah, it? right. Well, that, yeah, there, that that is also the, this 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 fantasy of like yes. of 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 female sexuality. Where like, yeah, she she just like like he's been convinced that she's like this this horrible like you know kind of crowd of of state oppression, and then she just like slips in this note that I love you, which is like okay, it's that's so good. it's yeah, it's it's weird. Um, and it's also like we know that there are good freedoms and bad freedom. I mean, there's a good sense of freedom. What he wants is not the same as what she wants, which is self-interested, right? right? right. Like, so her not having morals is good in that it feels like it feels like a threat to the party. But her wanting to do whatever she wants, the novel doesn't take as like a good thing in and of its in and of itself because it's like not an anti-party gesture. It's like a self-interested gesture. No, but I do wonder if it is like the only kind of realistic um, mode of resistance, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, because that, that because like other than which, I mean, something we could talk about later. That the fact that the afterward uh, or the, the the appendix is written in the past tense, like so. Oh, so he yeah. had a new past. Like there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of like hope that there is anything like a mass resistance politic that's possible. So, like, absent right. that how do you keep your sanity? Well, maybe you keep your sanity by doing exactly what Julia is doing. You know, it, it's like not an admirable thing, but it's also like maybe the only thing that's like kind of possible. Well, it's cause it sort of says like, well, the ideal thing would be if Julia and I could get married, which is like yeah. so bananas ass crazy. Like yeah. she's, she's like what she's like 19 or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She's, and he's like, yeah. he's like a 40. withered old hag of 39. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, and so like these two would never be, but like by the inexplicable logic by which a man fantasizes that a nineteen-year-old will slip him a note that says "I love you" and <laughs> yeah. just right. want to use him for sex, uh, you know that that was so hot that it made him mad and it, that it put him into a murderous rage. That like yeah. that that person would want to fuck, and then he could, and then they could both want to get married, and that right. she would also be like more into him than he is into her. Because when they're being like when they go into O'Brien's house for the first time, yeah, Winston can't decide whether he would give up Julia right. to to do the duty to the anti party, but right. she's like, no, never, right. Um, so that there's a lot cooking there, but there is. You know what? I think one of the reasons why I don't find Julia that annoying is because I find Winston really annoying too. Like, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, he's like, awful. First of all, like, so, like, Ob- before O'Brien ever, like, you know, plays, like, oh, like, yes, I'm, I'm in the Brotherhood. Who I find like, the least annoying, and I feel like that makes me some kind of counter revolutionary. Well, yeah, but I think you find him the least annoying because he's like the only like kind of smart person in the book. Yeah, that's possibly true. Like, yeah, uh, but no, I yeah, exactly. I mean, it is it, there. I I think I think there's a, a weird way that the book kind like, of invites you to like 
uh, sort of like identify with O'Brien, uh, uh, probably strategically. Um, but but like to, to kind of yeah make you ask some questions about about your, yourself. But but right. But like Winston, like he just sees O'Brien, like I don't know, give him kind of like what he thinks is a knowing glance at the two minutes hate, and then he's like, oh yes, I this this is my leader. I must follow right. him, and it's just which is like dumb. I mean, it ultimately ends is what ends up getting him imprisoned and tortured. Um, and I don't think it's a mistake that Julia would have ever made, right? I mean, she yeah. she does because like yeah. Winston, like we must now see this this guy who's so great. Um, but like before that, it's, you, you know, I don't know. So it's just like, yeah, I, I think my annoyance with Winston maybe makes my annoyance for Julia less than it would otherwise be. I feel that. I mean, that strikes me as fair given how annoying he is and how like, but you're right. There is a degree to this, to which this book is like, how do you be counter ideological? Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, yeah. And it sort of says like, you really can't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's I mean, it's important, right? That it's like they're the versions that we're given are like, um, you, are you, are you like, a you know, doing, doing what she does, which is like this continued series of gestures that are like anti-party in their, in their intention. Or do you do what we know he does, which is like thought crimes. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. His principal yeah. sin is thought crime. Yeah. Yeah. Is his principal sin thought crime? You don't think so? Actually. Okay. So like there's a, so I think there's two different, I think there's two different questions is like, what is, so what is the reader supposed to understand as what he's doing wrong or right and what the party understands as his main offense. Like, because so, 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 okay. So the reason I say this is because there's a, there's all these scenes at the end where he's being tortured Mm -hmm. because he won't admit that two plus two makes five. Right. But I think that what they're really saying is that you can't discipline, like your principal sin is not like, it's not what your thoughts are, but that you can't discipline yourself in general, like mm-hmm. more broadly. I think O'Brien says that. Yeah. Well, right. That, that like basically, so, right. So that, yeah, that, that like, um, it's not enough to just repeat the party line, right? Like you actually have to like, so, right. So there's this principle of double think, like part of like new speak, which we'll, we'll talk about where it, right. Like the holding the two contradictory thoughts mm-hmm. in your head at one time. Um, but like to do that in the way that like O'Brien wants it, the state wants, doesn't mean that like, you know, one thing is true, but you say like the falsehood, you actually like reconcile the irrecon you know what i mean there's just there's just like a like like a faith or something that like lets you um make sense of uh uh of the the this this nonsensical world um but it but it, ha- it like it, ha- it it's not lying it's that like you actually have to like what you were saying Katie, like have discipline like discipline yourself or been disciplined into like just being able to like effortlessly do this actually very complex kind of self-deception yeah. So I guess like, yeah. So, so actually I think his principal sin is thought crime. I guess my question was like, what is thought crime actually? Uh-huh. Right. Well, I mean, I think part of it at least like, and I, at least my, my, a, a, a major point for me is like when we get from that, the problem isn't his thinking some like two plus two is five is a problem that's much easily, more easily surmounted than I love big brother. 
that like disciplining your emotions is harder than disciplining your thinking. And so like mm. it for me it is that the sin is thought crime, but that like the 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 bigger sin or whatever is like you can't condition your interiority. Right. Mm. Yeah, right. Well that because yeah, because the, the state aims at control that goes beyond just like the kind of conscious brain. It it actually it mm-hmm. it demands that this be internalized to to the to the level of the unconscious, right? And that yeah. Yeah, um, totally. I mean, and I think yeah. that that's why characters like Julie is more complicated, I think, but somebody like Parsons like barely has an interiority at all yeah, in yeah. the book's imagining yeah. that yeah. like even that that maybe he has these like unconscious you know, nighttime bad thoughts or whatever. I have no confidence, by the way, that that has even happened in the diegesis, though. Like, I have no, no reason to think that his seven-year-old hasn't made it up. Yeah, no. Totally. No. But but at the same time, like, I guess that almost wouldn't matter because it's like the state says you have committed thought crime, therefore right. you have, right? Like, right. It's not like, tr- like truth claims don't operate in this world the way they do in – you know, in this in the non-totalitarian world. No, totally. Their records department matters, not yeah, not like matters of fact, which is this right. thing that's like this sort of fetishization of like, um, again, like this old, this very old school version of humanism as Tristan's sort of epistemologies would describe it, right? Like mm. fundamental truths or like universally recognized, um, common human, t- common human. Um, qualities. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the propaganda, that's, I mean, that's such an interesting thing to tackle here because the propaganda does appear to be, to be like about massification, right? Like me meeting, reaching people en masse in a way, but like we have a really hard time. I don't think we have any access to knowing what people actually believe here. No. Right. Oh, wait. And do you mean like the thought police or in like uh, us as readers i mean no i mean like the mass or maybe the proles or however you want to think about it in 1984 like i have no i have no way to understand like whether people think that at the middle of the book we go from being at war with east asia to at war with eurasia right and whether people are like that's fine I, I mean, I think the fantasy of the state is that you will like at the at the kind of per, at the point at which it's like ideological, like kind of surveillance apparatuses are perfected. It will, in kind of a very literal way, be that people immediately okay, we're at war. The East Asia, no, we're at war with Eurasia. And we've always been in war with Eurasia. Right. That 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 actually will, in very real terms, be a belief that people can just immediately have. That that the issue and why the thought police exist is it hasn't yet gotten to that point where like. Um, Good point, right? That people actually, like, we're not in full-born newspeak. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, Which is the sort of mark, as Tristan, you've pointed out, of, like, full ideological penetration, right? Which is, like, actually it's unthinkable to be uh, resistant to ideology. Yeah. 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 So Um, can we talk then about, because it's, like, related to Eurasia uh, as a a mass state, um, Trotsky slash Goldstein's book? Yeah. Which O'Brien claims to have written at one point. 
Yeah, well, right. So that, that's the thing. So, right. So, like, so O'Brien gives him the, this book written by the Goldstein, and then later when he's like torturing Winston, uh, O'Brien says that that he that he wrote this. I still I don't know why because like I just took O'Brien like that. No, I mean he's not he's not a double agent. He's uh, I mean he wants Winston to think he's a double agent, but he's just like he's a he's you know he's a he's just kind of a, a uh, you know part of the state apparatus sort of. That's what he is. Um, why so and that and that the book is written as some kind of like bullshit like mechanism of the state but i just don't but understand why is it why. so good yes why is it good and and like i mean i so i like wonder if part of why it's good and why it, it like o'brien says this it works as, as a description like the praxis in it is nonsense um is that like because like in order to really in order to really get you to be able to do double think you have to know what the truth is Right. Like that, mm-hmm. that, 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 that the victory over Winston will be complete when Winston has been shown the state in, in like all of its ugliness, but is still able to get him to self to a point of like, I love Big Brother. Right. 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 The, yes. So, but is the thing, so the, there's like a whole thing about, so he has to be reeducated into I love Big Brother, yeah. which is like the famous la, last, line of the novel mm-hmm. um and but like this obsession with winston in particular like what is that so so the 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 book is all about these huge like global forces and what's really going on and all this shit but then the novel is still obsessed with winston mm-hmm. oh and for sure even and o'brien's like uh you know, we took a lot of trouble with you because you're worth a lot of trouble. Right. Right. Yeah. Because you're uh, too smart or something. Right. Um, but is he? Then he? But then he says you're a slow learner. Well, that's because yeah. he's too resistant, right? He has to keep shocking yeah. him at higher and higher voltages. Right. Yeah, like so. When Parsons get arrested, gets arrested, I kind of think they either like take Parsons immediately to Room One Hundred and One, which is like the most horrible place in the in the Ministry of Love, or they send they you know they send him off to like some gulag or just kill him. Like, there's not this lengthy process. Like for Winston, it's real okay. Like, so this is a smart person. I mean, I guess like who 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 grasps what this is. We're good. Like our ability to like perfect our power depends on our ability being able to beat someone who is like this, who's not like the the uncritical like you know uh kind of faceless uh outer party member but someone who actually like oh is they actually have to grab- sharpen the tools of yes torture exactly. by sort yeah. of like you know whatever like the the better whetstone or however you want to think about that yeah, yeah. my question though is winston though never so I know, I guess the whole thing that I'm like missing the point here, which is that the important thing is what you think. It's all about your interiority because th- I get stuck on the fact that Julia is the one who actually incites any of this. Right. And mm-hmm. But the novel really doesn't give a shit about her. Like before any big info is revealed, every time they like cart her out like a sack of potatoes. Yeah. You know, like she's not even there for the reveal of like the fact that the sweet antique shop owner was actually like a a young thought policeman right yeah yeah i mean because i think those those they think of that as being like not a thought crime and thought crime is like what i mean the when i say they what i mean is like the novel doesn't think that's a thought crime it's just like a childish act of rebellion right yes but what winston is doing is thought crime 
Right. Yes. And that's the real threat to the state, which is which is yeah. something that I think most of us is like, um, you know, a certain genre of Marxists who are like only direct act or direct action matters most and who do like a dumb podcast that's like books about, <laughs> you know, like a leftist take on yeah. book, which is like not a direct action yeah. principle at all, are yeah. all a little bit like, really, though? Like you're thinking yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what is yeah. a threat to the state? Yep. Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing. But also the thing is like e- even the dipshit guy who gets sold out by his kids is basically like, well, what are you going to do? You can't really. <laughs> yeah. Keep your brain like, perfect. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. sorry, but it's sort of involuntary. Yeah. I guess I guess the whole place I get this is like I'm sort of obsessed with this whole thing because this is where I get lost about the novel because I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, re- like, really? Like, is this really the thing? Like, mm-hmm. is this really what power is about? Is, like, it, torturing a ding-dong named Winston? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But maybe it is. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, why it do does. Think- it's misaligned, though, with, like, why I get so, like, turnt for this for Goldstein, which is all of his stuff about, like, war needs to exist because we actually have to, like, withhold goods from people you know and like imperialism has made it such that like actually on earth there's plenty of crap and we could live we could all work four hours a day and live in great houses but like it has to withhold those things and i'm like then why do you have this like actually like incredibly beautiful structural marxist historical like analysis but the object of your critique for the rest of the book is like thinking that thinking wrong is the threat to the state Right. Like, why does it have right. this, like, really beautiful dialectical moment in the middle? And then it's just like, mm, I guess we should, I guess that's the thing that the bad guy wrote, which is like a, like a lovely critic, critical thing, but that it doesn't actually take up. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's a really bleak fucking book, right? I mean, that it it, like, yeah. like the diet, because like, yeah, the dialectical critique is really good. Yeah. I mean, that is actually, wow. Like, so, you know, war exists, uh, basically to uh, prevent people from having too much because that's a threat to the, the, the state just revels in its power. I mean, that's, that's one of the chilling points that O'Brien makes. And not so, even like, just not having this, too much, like not having enough yes, is like exactly. the fundamental thing, right? Exactly. But that like your knowledge of that doesn't actually get you anywhere. Right. And um, that is you know, really that, bleak. Yeah, you're right. I is. mean, like maybe that's more cynical even than I love Big Brother. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. And, and I, I do like uh, just you know, uh, briefly what the, 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 the language thing I think is a really big part of this, right? That like they're so that that um, like Newspeak, right? They're, they're completely rewriting the English language uh, to get to the point where as the novel puts it that like basically they're getting rid of any word that has any sort of subversive potential whatsoever. Uh, they're getting rid of any word that has any kind of ambiguity um, at all. Um, and, and yeah, that, that, that basically I, I don't know, like even beyond the, the um, you know, the, the critique of totalitarian that does raise to me really sort of like chilling thoughts about like you know because we i don't know like the sort of light post kind of enlightenment world we th- you know we we still have this fantasy of like you know that the cartesian i think therefore i am but like no i mean in a, in a very real way thought is preconditioned by the language that you have not the other way right around, absolutely you know um yeah and that is a very structuralist take that i accept which is just like we are defined by the our capacity what we're capable of thinking yeah um and that is the sort of newspeak principle um Mm -hmm. 
I find it, I do find it really interesting that there's the character at the beginning with the bug eyes who's the zealot for Newspeak. And Winston's mm-hmm. like, oh, this guy is going to be gone like tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. anything yes. resembling zealotry or like yeah. even something like a commitment, right? That he's yeah. like committed to this language yeah. is like, you're fucked. Well, and he also understands yeah. like why the language is being created. Totally, like, as yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he talk, he he says at one point, it's a beautiful thing, the destruction of words. The fact that he even yes. knows that that's happening, that's yeah. a threat, that's a problem. Um, yep. And that and that is, I mean, you know, like like to the extent that it's about Stalinism, I mean, that like what the like the like the way this kind of Stalinist state sort of shot itself in the foot was like anyone who wasn't a dumb fuck. <laughs> They would kill, you know, like, right. like, it's like they would like Stalin would like be like, OK, OK, but like, no, no, you you're too smart. Have to get rid of you. You know, like so it was kind of, yeah, by the by the early 1950s, the kind of inner circle of of uh, of, of the Soviet state was 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 a little bit a little bit uh, watered down. You know? yeah. yeah, I mean, but. and I think, you know, I I don't know. I don't I I'm just like not <laughs> insistent on being so party loyal that it's like but a critique of stalinism is perfectly fine and of course and like stalin yeah stalinism is not good marxism it's not good marxism but it's also sort of like anything that's like well but what about you know like that what about didn't capitalism kill more people which p.s for sure absolutely yes but also that you know anarchists or humanist marxists have been critiquing bolshevism since the Yes. You know, yeah. forever. And so it's hardly, you know, counter-revolutionary to be angry at this version of totalitarianism. No, not at all. True. So, Katie, are we BuzzFeed quizzing it? Do we have other uh, – do we have another plan? Do you have questions? I do have questions. And do, do they have I anything do have to do questions. with rats? Because I might not answer them. They – they do have to do with rats. Ah. No, they don't have to do with rats. Um, okay. So what we are going to do today is see if you two are good party members. Mm. This is going to be okay. hard. Yeah. And so um going to administer a quiz. Uh, just answer honestly. There are no right or wrong answers. <laughs> <laughs> Just no, just answer. You definitely won't be just disappeared from, for the wrong answers. Just, just answer from your heart. And uh, anywhere these questions take you, just allow your mind to go there. Be present with the experience. Oh, no, we're not doing a meditation. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, okay. Question number one. What's sexy to you? A, overalls. B, total transparency. <laughs> C, cheap perfume, or D, bed bugs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I've made my point on overalls clear. So A. Yeah, A the uh, the the total transparency, a little kind of voyeurism thing happening. But uh, I I don't know. I like you know I, I like I like the I like I really liked the uh, the the the. Um, the the eight, 1984 movie overall, so I'll, I'll say A2. Because they went with coveralls. Yeah. You know, I, I think if as long as you're both happy with that answer, a lot's riding on it. <laughs> um, okay, second question. Imagine that you have a wife. Yes, that's right. A wife. <laughs> How would you murder her? 
A, push her off a cliff. B, tattle on her to the thought police. C, strangle her with her own overalls. D, sex accident. (laughs) Oh, sex accident for sure. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. D. Okay. Okay. I would have gone with the overalls, but all right. I mean, but you know what? Those actually can be the same answer, right? We've already established the sexiness of the overalls, so. Totally. (laughs) So there we go. Uh, Question number three. Why do they call him Big Brother? A, big old dick. (laughs) B, big dangly balls. C, big fat ass. <laughs> or D, this big old dick also. <laughs> D, where's the big fat mustache though? Because that's all I, w- I was just waiting for that. Uh, that's E, dealer's choice. Then E, big fat mustache. <laughs> big fat mustache. Big fat mustache. <laughs> Uh, like the, the big daggly balls just because why, why not <laughs> uh it, okay. yeah yeah it's it's the yeah right right beneath right beneath the telescreen right oh right yeah. right beneath, no you know what yeah. they are you know what they are it's uh uh 19 the, the state of 1984 has truck nuts <laughs> and beneath all of the telescreens like with the boxes that that's that they're just swinging right there in every in everyone's house throughout the land see that's poetry to me i'm just planning on watching the new deadwood movie this week and so i'm having a lot of like mustache fantasies Mm. Okay. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Um, okay. So here's your next question. Boy, there's a lot of exercise happening in this dystopia. Am I right? You are. Thoughts? A, yes, it keeps me looking extremely thin and the camera adds 10 pounds and there are 50 cameras on me at any one time. So that's important to me. <laughs> B, Yes, I do soul cycle. I do kickboxing. I do all my gym activities. And uh, it's my hobbies. So, fuck you. <laughs> C, I don't care for exercise. I'm a graduate student. <laughs> or D, I just bought a personal trampoline at Target and I never D. use it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I kind of think that like I between C and D, um, but I think D because like yeah, I, I I don't know. The the you, you don't you don't get a lot. There's not like a lot of of, uh, of of gyms gym memberships in this world. So I feel like you would be tempted to get the personal trampoline and you can. Yeah. I actually exercise. Well, I exercise some now, but I went to the gym a lot more as a graduate student because I needed to like not work and leave my apartment. And now I do yeah. that like to. To do I, fun shit with people. Yeah. yeah. I, I was good at going to the gym for part of graduate school and then the dissertation. It's like, no, this is eat junk food and drink time, you know? And also, like, cry <laughs> on the kitchen floor in a puddle of your own yeah. tears. Yeah. Like, you can't go to the gym yeah. if you're doing that. True. true. That's exercise. It's a real ab workout <laughs> to be crying yeah. that much. Yeah. Yeah. It's an um, exercise for okay, your spouse so what- who has to come home and pick you up off the floor. <laughs> oh, yeah, been, been yep. there. Oh, boy. Well, last question. 
Um, what is your dream job? A. Snitch. <laughs> B. Tattletale. C. Frankenstein. <laughs> D. Dracula. Dracula. Dracula? As opposed to a narc, like those are instantly out. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I would say, Fra- wait, so Frankenstein or his monster? Oh, <laughs> okay. You know what? I'm because Frankenstein, the uh, doctor, awful, just awful. Yes, yeah. The monster always- kind of cool though. Yeah, I always think of them whenever I'm saying a Frankenstein. I mean, like a Frankenstein okay. monster. Okay, even though I know that's wrong. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I, I think I again. I Megan and I are answering all the same yeah. on this one, but I think Dracula is the is the way you got to go. The first two are just out, and I, I mean, I'm kind of thinking Frankenstein, like Boris Karloff, Frankenstein. That just seems boring and green. Yeah, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to tabulate your results. Beep boop 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 beep bop bop. <laughs> Okay, I regret to inform you that you are now on persons. You will be vaporized as soon as we're done this podcast. <laughs> we're counter-revolutionaries. You can't, or are you revolutionaries? Who can Ooh. say? Who's to Uh-oh. be sure? Trick, tricky. Thank you for radicalizing us. Well, yeah. You're so welcome anytime. I really appreciate your coming in and spitting your truth. You're Thank even better you. than Trotsky. Thank you so much. I, know. I feel like that's the nicest thing I could possibly say to someone is you're even it is, nicer. I like you even more than Trotsky. <laughs> yeah, I know that's yeah. That, that's I'm a, putting that that's on a, a hell of a, on a card, like yeah. for a Valentine's Day present. Yeah. I like yeah. you more than Trotsky. <laughs> that's a great. Yeah, that's a hell of a compliment. That's a, like a tenth anniversary. That is like card. a tenth. My tenth anniversary is relatively <laughs> soon, so I should probably start thinking about that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, heterosexuality, it's great. This book is really a big fan. <laughs> we love it. Um, okay. This has been Better Than Dead. You can find Tristan on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find me on Twitter at Tusslersaurus. You can find the show on Twitter at Better Red Pod, R E A D, and email us at betterredpodcast at gmail.com, but only if it's written in perfect newspeak. On the next episode, we are talking about Robinson Crusoe. We have In Cold Blood to follow that. And um, Gulliver's Travels is coming up and Little Women is coming up. Our theme song is Love Bronstein by the Redskins. And our logo was created by Dan Bonsack of JV Design and Content. So, yeah, thanks. Minitrue Memo. 18.8.19 podcast refs unperson George Orwell, double plus ungood, rectify, upsub anti filing. <laughs>